Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I can tell you what it's like to sow bad things. In the unfortunate sowing of bad things, it has multipliers. Have you ever seen somebody sow bad things and they just thought they were doing it to their self and they were destroying their family? They were destroying a lot of things. It was a multiplier. They were sowing things, but it was multiplying. And thinking they were sowing something and they were going to get something else in return. If a farmer plants a seed, he does not, a seed of, if a farmer plants a tomato seed, he does not expect a crop of corn. And when a farmer plants one kernel of corn, he knows he doesn't get just one kernel of corn. A single kernel of corn may produce a plant that yields more than 600 kernels of corn per ear and usually two ears per stalk. That's God math. It's pretty amazing how God's math works. Proverbs eleven twenty four, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. We want people at renovation, we want folks that attend here whose world is getting larger and larger. Isaiah 54, 2, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out, think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive those tent pegs deep. The only time you move those pegs is to move it further out and drive them deep again. Said to you last week, Beginning to, when you become a Christian, it's more than just now changing your schedule and you start showing up on Sundays and sometimes Wednesdays and things like that. And you may have a kind of a different group of friends. As we read last week, Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, and Paul's writing again, every truth and encouragement that I could have made, could give made a difference, uh, that could have made a difference to you, you got. I taught you in public and taught you in your homes, urging Jews and Greeks alike to a radical life change before God and radical trust in our Master Jesus. What we have been called to is radical. And I shared last week, and you've heard me say it many times here, the reason why we use the term radical, in case you were not here, in case you don't walk out of here and go, well, that was radicals. Radical is this. If it was easy, you'd already done it. There's a hard part. There's a real hard part. And then there's more hard parts. Have you ever made a decision and that, hard, that decision was hard and then you find out there was 10 more decisions now you have to make? 
And the question, in case you missed it last week, was what do you already know needs to change in your life? You don't have to ask anyone else. You don't have to go take a survey of your family. You don't have to know. You, you already know. And our question last week or our statement last week was make room for change. But one of the challenges, like most of us, we know what our wants are. We sometimes don't really know what our needs are. But one of the biggest challenges is, and I don't know who said it and who knows, maybe it was Dr. Dan, I don't know, uh, said it years ago, what I want gets in the way of what I really want. What I want, what I want right now gets in the way of what I really want. I can say what I really want, but what I want right now gets in the way of what I really want. For instance, this gets in the way of what I often, that gets in the way. Anybody there? Can you pick one that you like? Anybody there? Anybody? What I want gets in the way of what I really want. Just kidding. (laughs) Take that down. I did get the glasses, though. I'm starting, right? I'm making an extreme point about a very simple thing. And by the way, just let me give a note to that guy. I don't know him. have nothing against him. He's ripped. But my advice is don't take a selfie in the mirror in a public bathroom. That's just my advice. I just don't think that's the thing to do. That's just my thought on that. So if you get like that and you're that ripped, don't do that. Okay. One thing that you know is significant, that if you changed it, that if you changed it, has the potential to transform your life and potentially change the lives of those connected to you. And you cannot outsource this choice. You can't say, well, I'll get somebody else to do it for me. No, it's you. And as we said last week, there is a point, no matter how good we preach or don't preach, if we share the word, the word does not, does not return void, and I am convinced of this, there is a point where my responsibility ends in your life and your responsibility picks up. As Paul said, I gave you everything you needed. I encouraged you, but you got the truth. Now, I'm not saying I'm Paul. Do not hear what I'm not saying. But you can't outsource this one. Today is make room for generosity. A few years ago, I read a book from Robert Morris, and we ended up doing a series here, if you guys remember that. And it's called The Blessed Life. And you've, some of you have read the book. It's Unlocking the Rewards of Generous Living. We did a month-long series on that, and, and Kent was so uh, gracious that after that, we did a month-long uh, early morning study on finances and And we need to address that again, but we don't have that set up right now. But it reminded us, and I needed to be reminded as I read that, that as I give, it's more than just making sure the lights stay on at the church and some bills get paid and maybe we send some around the world. 
It, it, it's, as much for the, it's as much for what's happening in me as what's happening anywhere else. And if you know our renovation story, I just want to make sure you, 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 you know me well enough that we have challenged and proposed a pathway for how you to use your time, your talent, your experiences, good and bad, your spiritual gifts, your strengths, your personality, and so on and so forth, the uncommon training, as you see there, we built this way before I ever preached one message on tithing. Years. You know, we've been here almost 10 years. Yeah. That's right. If we do 50 services a year, because we take two, two margins, almost 500 messages have been preached from in here from someone. And five have been on tithing. 1%. We should be at about 10%, so I've got, some, I've got to make up some time here, okay? <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't know that it needs to be 10%. But I just want you to know this has never been top priority for me, but it probably should have been. Because I do believe people come to church for a lot of reasons. They come to find out things. They come that they want to have insight on this thing. Maybe their marriage just a little bit of nugget here or they're raising their family a little bit of nugget there or just overall, hey, that clears something up for me. I got some knowledge there now. That's a question I've had along the way, so that's helpful to me. Uh, and, And you come to church for community. You come to connect with people around you and you love that part of it. There's a lot of reasons why we come to church, but I think one of the reasons people don't necessarily come to church is to be somebody to ask the question or even give them information of what to do with their money or resources or things along that line because they really don't think it's any of your business. We ask, how can God be first in my marriage? How can God be first in raising my kids? How can God be first in so many things? But one of the hardest ones is how can God be first in my finances? How can God be first in my time and my talent? How can he be first in that? The Lord convicted me a few years ago when we ended up doing the series because I was always hesitant. I thought speaking on giving, tithing, things of that nature was extremely uncomfortable for me. It just was. Lord, help me get over that. And I'm not making light of that because I realized I had been cheating the people I was leading. Because if we are going to be a disciple-making location, that cannot be left out. It cannot be left out. As a matter of fact, for some people, that's the last thing that's capping them. It's the very thing that's keeping them from living into the fullness the very thing. And somehow or another, I've avoided it. I've procrastinated. Because the Lord really began to change my thinking that when you speak on giving, this is about disciple-making. Overflowing lives 
released into this community who are blessed and are highly favored and are fruit bearers. That's what we're supposed to be about. If I look 10 years from now, as I said last week, and the Lord allows me to live to be 72, I'm wondering what will happen as I'm sitting there remembering wherever I am, uh, whatever I'm doing, remembering. You remember back in August of 2022 when you spoke on giving and tithing and how critical that was in the third of your congregation left? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I have to be okay with that if that's the case, even though I don't think that'll be the case. What you'll never hear me say today or any other time, or you'll hear from renovation. So I want to couch this up front. You give a thousand, you get ten thousand. That's not how we present this or preach this. So I just want to get that out of the way up front. Now, for some of the rest of you, you probably thought, man, I picked a bad Sunday to be at renovation. But I think you picked a great Sunday to be here. I'll admit that I've had struggles, Jen and I have had struggles over finances over the years. No question, we've made some. It's been tight. We've, we've, we've left two positions. I left mine at, at IMAX years ago running the mill and, and cut our salary to almost, I mean, I don't know what it is, like half at least, and with no benefits, but the Lord told us to do it. And we've, we've moved to Arizona and, and lost Jan's job, didn't have it for years. And we moved here because we trusted God. But through those times, we've made some silly choices on our part from, from, I don't know that we asked God enough about some investments we probably shouldn't have been in and, and didn't ask him enough about ones we should have put in. I get it. And probably at the end of this whole thing, before it's all over with, we probably do not have sufficient retirement to take care of things, but I'm still letting God worry about that to some degree. I'm just praying Jesus comes soon. That's what I'm praying. <laughs> that's, my, that's my retirement plan. But you know, I just assume a lot of you are like us. You're trying. You're trying to make it. You make some bad choices here, some good there. And so I hope today what this is is really good news for you, what we're going to present to you, whether or not, you know, it's up to you to to receive it that way. You may get distracted here in a minute and go, man, I just don't want to listen to what he's saying. Hey, you may just go, hey, Pastor Kurtz, we're in slacks today what's that all about i'm wondering what he did i wonder where he got those i'm wondering what and your mind's just going 100 why does this why don't they just tuck in the side of his boots that really bothers me i wish those would go over the top of his boots because those are annoying your mind goes everywhere right and you're just finding things to think about besides this i'm going to ask you to think about this we believe scripture has a lot of answers about this At least 16 of the 38 parables Jesus spoke of were concerned about how to handle money and possessions. In Scripture, there are over 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. If you want to test God, you get a chance to. Malachi 3.10, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing 
that there will not be room enough to store it. Well, Lord, there will be because what are all of us doing? We're making room. Oh, yeah, there will be, Lord. We'll just make room. We'll make room for your blessings. We'll make room for you to pour that out. I'm not arguing with God here. There's a direct correlation between our faith and the way we handle our money. Matthew 6, 21 and 24. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will have the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So when it comes to money, we will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. Jesus warns us that one of the most dangerous idols, especially in this affluent country we live in, where we are right here, maybe more than anywhere else in the world, but we can definitely speak to this. One of the most dangerous idols we have and we face is money. Maybe, just maybe, we should take him serious. And I know there's different people's testimonies about the 10%, and, and we, along with the tithe, is 10. Along with uh, the Greek Orthodox and Christians are basically the ones who, who believe in this. Other religions do not look at it that way, but we do. And one of the hardest parts, I think, and I know Brandon, Brandon and I, our story is a little different. Brandon has shared over the last few weeks about giving. That was one of his last ones to let go, or one of the hardest things. And for Jan and I, I, I don't know what happened. It was one of our first ones. It was kind of a crazy thing. We understood it. We understood what Scripture said. Now, anybody that knows me, I'm a classic overthinker. Amen. And those who know me, those who, just know, those who know me, I way overthink things on some things. But what I usually don't overthink, if I am clear on what God has said, and I have touched base with people I trust, and I have looked at people's lives I want to hang out with, and I want to maybe someday my life might look a little bit like that and people want to hang out with me, I ask them the same questions. What about this tithing thing? I see it in Scripture. Oh, is it an Old Testament? Is it a New Testament? And then I found out way later, yeah, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but Old Testament was 10%. New Testament, grace always goes above the law. So it's not just 10%. It's wherever you want to go, man. So that don't work here. Bad grammar, but good preaching, right? Tithing was one of the first tangible ways. We had not been called into ministry. I hadn't been called to preach. I hadn't been called to do a lot of other things besides show up at church. I didn't really feel like that was a calling. You just do it. It's where other people were. But giving 10% was the first place we were able to say to God, you're first. You're first. You know, I was so grateful for what he had done in my life. You know, I was so grateful for what he did in my life. Even to this day, I've not gotten over it. I look at my life over the last 36 years. 
Sure, we were laymen for six years. We drove 20, 25 minutes to church at least. I worked 60-hour weeks. Jan worked 40 to 50. We had three kids. We were on a tight, well, not as tight a budget until we went into ministry. We were at least had a little more, <laughs> but until we went into ministry. But we were laymen. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, twice, Sunday school, Sunday church, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were there. We gave of our time and talent and treasure the best we understood it way before we were board members or especially staff. Because as we understood it, we tried to do it. It doesn't seem complicated, but I know it can kind of feel that way. I, I was reading my devotional this week <clears throat> that, you know, because I, I do believe there are times you need, we need more information on things before we act. I, I get that. I mean, many of you need more information before you hit send, okay? Some of you need more information, okay? So that, if you make that a habit, I think that would be wise. Maybe just don't hit send. That may be even wider. Maybe just don't even get in a situation where you think you need to see anything. I digress. But I read this this week in my devotional, going through Ezekiel right now, and, and where he said over and over, you will know that I am Lord. That, that's over and over. This little deal on the side that says, it's better to know some of the answers and act than it is to know all the right questions and not. It's better to know some of the answers and live into them than to try to get all the right questions and never do anything with it. I've said this before about my early journey as a Christian. And people have asked me, why do you think you grew so fast in your faith so early? Why do you think that happened? Because I said, if I, under, if I felt if I understood, I'd try to act on it. And I think there were times there were people in our church, the Baptist church there, that had been Christians for 30 years, but I was more mature than they were. How does that work? Because to maturity to me depends on uh, what you know. Are you acting on what you know? Are you acting on what God has shown you? Are you acting on that maturity is not you now have been sitting around in church for 30 years and maybe even tithing. Maturity is when God has shown you, you've grown into it. Now, I'm not saying I've done a perfect job of that in 37 years. Do not hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is we've defined maturity in, a, I think, a wrong way, a deceptive way. Because it's not time spent. It's obedience. Because delayed disobedience, I mean, delayed obedience is disobedience, right? I mean, you've heard that. What did God say? What has he shown me? And am I going to act on it? And I know often, and back to our statement about Give a thousand, you get ten thousand. This is not a prosperity gospel here, so don't hear that for sure. But also, don't hear that if I begin to tithe and and and, and I, don't, I do what Malachi says that I, you know God's going to bless me so much I won't even have struggles. Jen and I have been faithful givers for thirty-seven years. And I hope not just faithful, but generous. And there's a difference, and we'll talk more about that at some point. But yes, we battled cancer in our home. 
Yes, we've had surgeries in our home. Yes, we've had deep heartache and deep loss in our home. At the heart of giving is is that you trust God. I'm not asking you something I'm not willing to do. And the journey we've been on all these years, I think you can ask our kids, we wouldn't pick another journey. We've been through a lot. But here's one of the most deceiving parts about tithing. You go, there's a deceiving part? Well, in this sense, I thought when Jan and I started tithing as a young believer, we began to lean into that and look for other ways to give. And we used to have people, we'd just pick up homeless people and bring them home to eat lunch with us because we thought we were entertaining angels. It's in Scripture. And if you've ever read that, we just bring people home with us like, okay. Uh, we stopped doing that over time because who knows. The one thing I did not know about tithing, I thought everyone else was tithing. When I realized different as a young believer, I had to work through the fact that only a small percentage of the people carried the load of the finances for the church. My part wasn't giving the first 10 first fruits. Jan and I worked through that quickly. What took me more time was to work through that everybody else wasn't doing it. That's the part I couldn't work through. But I did. Because God showed me and Spirit showed me this is not between you and them. This is between me and you. Even though. You know the phrase even though is a pretty powerful phrase if you learn how to walk through it. Even though you may be one of the only ones, even though you may be the only ones still standing, even though this may not fall out the work the way you thought, even though will you still trust me, will you praise me? Even though. Sometimes we want more information and asking the question, well, how does the church spend its money? Not a bad question, and I'd sit down with you and walk you through it. And about two-thirds of what comes into this church goes to salaries. That's too high. And part of that is, I would say, Are we overstaffed for a church our size? The answer is yes. But we're way understaffed for the church we're supposed to be. We didn't bring Adrian and Brandon in because just to help us maintain where we are. Don't read that. But it was a huge step of faith. 
on their part and ours. 13% of everything that comes in here goes away almost immediately every month. 13%. To missions around the world, to support retired pastors, to scholarships for students and help the work on our district, 13%. And then that's just that. That doesn't count what else goes away from here. I mean, right now, we're supporting, just for instance, this is just one example. I don't even have it in my notes here. I'm trying to be careful not to get off my notes. Uh, we support uh, 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 the Ramsey uh, the Financial Peace University for students here at Madison School District. It's about $2,200 uh, that we put into that each year. 250 students went through it last year. 250 students, children, went through, from up to elementary age, went through Financial Peace University last year and taking it home talking to their parents. Now, now again, the reason I tell you that is if they had workbooks, which is $1,600 more, that would even be better for them. Put that a post-it note in your brain. See what you want to do with that. Board members. All have to be tithing. Well, don't they volunteer? You bet. Full of the Holy Spirit and good reputation. I think that's Acts 6. Tithing because they're going to decide how the church spends its money. They better be vested. They better be in. They better be in. All staff members... Tithe plus whatever their spouse makes, they tithe. How would you like to go to that job interview? Yeah, can you sit here? Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about this. And yeah, we're not hiring you unless we like your wife too or your spouse. We're not hiring you for that either. But by the way, one of the requirements is that whatever money you make as a family, 10% of that at least comes back to the church. Who signs up for that job? And matter of fact, you're probably asking the question, is that legal? <laughs> you may be asking that question, right? <laughs> I'm not going to answer it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what would the body of Christ accomplish if every believer just tithed? No special offerings. Just special dreams. What if? Generous churches change the world. I really do believe that. They get larger and larger. Tithing of time, talent, treasure, possessions. You say, well, Kurt, what is that tithe you keep talking? Because it may be a new concept, and I understand that, and I don't maybe won't do a good enough job. You can just go Google Dave Ramsey tithe. They're probably a better job than I'll do here. But it is your net, if you own a business, after all your expenses, whatever that is, your salary, your paycheck, whatever that is, however it works for you. Before you pay Uncle Sam, it's off that. It's 10% of that. Before you pay 
Hulu, <laughs> Verizon, SRP, we can just keep going, right? Ford Motor Credit. <laughs> it's 10%. You say, Kurt, do you know how much that is in my life? But God does. I don't know. I don't care. It really doesn't matter to me because here's the good thing about coming to renovation. I don't really care. I'm going to love you whether you do that or not. I'm going to be your pastor whether you support that or not. That's not an issue for me because I would have quit a long, long time ago. <laughs> you just quit. I'm done. I'm quit. You just would, right? You would have quit a long time ago because not, that's not how this works. Because you're going to love no matter what. But let me ask you a question. If you make $200,000 a year, it's 10%. Are we doing, we work, are you hanging with me? It's 10%. That'd be $20,000, right? Am I, we, all, we all good there for that math? We good? You go, Kurt, look how much that is. Well, let's say down here, your income is 20000 You don't think they're not asking the same thing? Oh, you have 180 left over. They have 18,000 left over. And Jan and I made a decision years ago. If we can't live off of 90%, we can't live off 100 either. <laughs> We're not disciplined enough to even think about living off 100 if we can't live off 90. At the heart of giving... Is that you trust God. Because tithing alone doesn't make you intimate with God. But I am convinced you will never have an intimate relationship with God without tithing. Without being generous. You can argue with me on that. I'm okay. Because at the heart of giving, in general, is that you are so grateful you've never gotten over what he did in your life. And how he blesses you is really up to him. Because the greater good, the greater blessing will never be the material thing. It may be tangible, and often I would say it is tangible. It may be a thing that you get or a thing that you, uh, or, or, or it may be some item. I'm not saying it won't be that. But if you limit it to that, you're going to be disappointed. Because as you look back over time, look at the blessings maybe on your marriage, the blessings on your family, the blessings on a lot of other things that man alive, if I had not, I just don't want to know. Because here's one of the things about a person, and I'm not saying I'm fully generous. I'm asking God to continue to transform me. I'm not where I want to be on this, just so you know. I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking with you about what's going on in my life. But what I am convinced of this if you're not generous, the first question you ask, what's this going to cost me? What's this going to cost me to do it? 
After generosity, one of the questions that will run past your mind is, what's this going to cost me not to do it? I would not want to know where my family would be right now. I don't know if that's how it worked. It may just be the same. But I don't want to find out. And thank goodness I haven't. Because we know people who have tithed and they've still had real heartache in their family. And I've had it also. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 8. Here's where I think the greatest blessing comes. And again, Jeremiah 17, 5 and 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands that will never see prosperity when it comes. That is such an interesting line to me that you would say you've, you've categorized what only blessings could look like. And God says, no, I just blessed you right there beyond your imagination. And you couldn't recognize it because you didn't trust me. They will dwell in the parched places in the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, his refuge, security. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green, blessing. You don't know what it's going to look like, okay? And it it has no worries in year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. What kind of of people we hope are rushing out of here into our community are fruit-bearing, on fire, followers of Jesus Christ who are full of generosity. And people know it. You know people like being around people who are generous. They're just more fun. People who are grateful and generous are just more, they're just more fun to be around. At least my history has been that. Not me personally, but with people I'm talking about. And I realize you can give money to a lot of organizations. And some of those will put your name on something, and that's awesome. And I'm not saying don't do those things. Software that almost $2 million was raised for PCH this week here in the valley from just 98.7 and all those. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. We're not saying you can't do that. Because Jan and I do other things besides giving to the church. So we don't want to discount that there's great opportunities out there around us. But what I do say is this. What I do believe, and Jan and I have, have landed on this all these years, way before we were staff members, that nothing comes before the local church. Nothing. When we were drowning in debt and had hardly any, we could barely make it at the end of 2010, our first 2010, we never stopped giving. Heard a saying years ago, I'll never stop giving, I'll never stop going. At renovation, we still believe the local church, when operating well, is the only real hope for the world as we convey Jesus Christ to the world around us. Because you can support hospitals, and I'm all for it. We know there's an end to all of us. 
but there can be an eternal that what we are bringing to, to the community. And nowhere can you bring together, and I think you can find this in Scripture, all the dynamics that a local church can do when it's doing well. And you may ask the question, if I didn't tithe, will God still bless me? Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into that. I don't know all God's economy and how he works. I don't know exactly how that works. Does my pastor still love me? That's a yes. Because I can make, does our church still love you? That's a yes. But I think the right question is, if I don't tithe, will God still trust me? Your Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Oh, excuse me. That's the other one. Begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering. That's how. He goes on to say, now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Now, I'm not going to, that's just, I'm reading what I just saw there. But Luke 16, 10, and 11, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And I hesitated putting that at the end today. Because it's heavy. Or it should be. I could have set it up front, said a lot of good things, and kind of wrapped it up at the end. This is serious business. And why we don't address it more, that's still a question I have to answer. And whether we're here a year from now, being able to do what we're doing with finances over less or more, you know, God will figure all that out. I am not worried about that at, at all at this moment. But what I am concerned about is have we been faithful? Have I been faithful as your pastor? Because I love you to tell you the truth. And have we been faithful as a church to present that and maybe help you figure out how to walk it out? Because I can tell you in my own life, the reason why those board members and those staff members have a a different foothold into my life and a different step into my life is partly because I trust them in this area. Now, I could ask for a show of hands today. Josiah, you guys come on up as we close. I know we could ask for a show of hands today, and we're not going to do that. And these altars are going to be open if you want to come and pray. But But today, more of the challenge is Sit in this, talk with your spouse, talk with whoever you need to, work through it. But I would just say this, look up scripture, watch YouTube, whatever you need to do. But this is heavy enough 
and, and it's so critical in your discipleship making, it very, very well may be the thing that has capped you. It very well may be the thing that has capped you from living into the fullness of what God has for you. Just saying. Now, if I raised hands, I don't think you'd probably be a one or part of this prayer, but I could pray it for you. Prayer would go something like this. God, break their heart, or they are generous for the things of you, or reduce their income. I could pray that. (laughs) I just don't feel comfortable doing that. (laughs) The Proverbs tells us, right? The generous their lives, their land, clear the tent, I mean, clear the ground, move the stakes. Their land gets larger and larger. And generosity has way more than to do than just with finances. It has so many different things. But you've heard me say a hundred times here, I'll never try to talk you into anything. Anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of but I do feel like I need to bring bring it to you, deliver it, and let God do what only he can do. Lord, help us right now as we close this service. Lord, you know your people. You know what they need. You know what you've been speaking to them about. You you know, for some, maybe the first time here, Lord, uh, you know what's been going on in our lives. Lord, we had no idea who would walk into this room, especially in the world we live in and in this valley. And uh, people kind of hit and miss, Lord, and that's okay. We understand all that. But we have no idea who's going to be here. But, Lord, we just ask as we walk in here each week that, Lord, with confidence and with boldness and with anointing, we can share your word. And whoever's listening online or around the world will listen to it tomorrow or next week. That our heart is always for the good of the listener. Whether we articulate it that well, Lord, you, you, you help us with that. But Lord, we ask your spirit to go before us. But Lord, we don't want to be found guilty 10 years from now going, man, you should have told them the truth. So Lord, we leave that in your hands today. And your people, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me? We're going to close in song and uh, then some announcements.